0: Good morning. How you doing today? Should be light. There we go. Now you can see me, right? All right. Uh, I see you, and uh, I can tell it's fall break today, right? The, the young'uns are gone and traveling, and if you're watching uh, by online today, we miss you. Safe travels. Have a great vacation with your families, um, We uh, are going to continue today our series on messy, um, looking at how loving others is not easy. Uh, And this week, I just want to continue with that statement, if I may, uh, that loving others isn't easy. And we're going to look at this loving others from a little different angle today. We're going to look at those in need. How do we meet The needs of others. How do we love those in need? Um, A couple weeks ago, I was pulling out of Walmart and there happened to be a man who was begging there. Maybe you've seen him or someone standing there on the corner as you're pulling out onto uh, Wayne Street there. There was a man standing there with a sign that said, you know, we'll work for food or uh, sometimes it says different things, help, you know, family, we need help. And, and i got to admit to you, when you first see that, now be honest with me, when you see that, at first you're like, oh, you roll the window up. You know, don't make eye contact with them. Yeah. You know, you're like, and then you start to feel like, what's the Christian thing to do, right? I mean, come on, we're supposed to love our neighbor, we're supposed to love those in need. We're supposed to help those in need. And so you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I'm not kidding you. We're sitting there and I think it was my wife and I or maybe one of my kids. And we're sitting there and he's standing there with a sign that says, you know, we'll work for food. I need help. And as we're sitting there, I look up and there across the street is a business and a giant sign in their yard that said, help wanted. Help wanted. Help wanted. Let me be completely and totally honest with you today. I love people, but not flies. I will kill that fly. The first thing that went through my mind you've got to be kidding me. He wasn't disabled, he didn't look like he had a problem begging for help when there's a sign literally 30 feet, 50 feet across the street that said Help Wanted. My first thought was, lazy. He obviously doesn't want to work. My first thought was, he's spending an awful lot of energy just wanting a handout when he could be walking across the street And getting a job. My first thought was scammer. He's not from this area. He's just trying to make a buck on his way through. He looks fine. He's standing there. He can reach his hand out to the car for the money. Last night I was watching the news and there was a news spot on there where a reporter dressed up like a homeless person. And went out onto the street and began to hold up a sign that said, help me. Can you help me? I need help with a bucket there. And he said, it's amazing. In a day's time, he made like 90 bucks. And he goes, that's like $24,000 a year, $23,000 a year. And then, and then he said, tax free. Somebody said that tax free, right? And in this spot, it's interesting because you know we have this homeless epidemic in many parts of our our culture and in many parts of our world. And I'm sitting there watching this, and then he said, the next day I switched signs. And this time a sign said, I'm not going to lie, I need a beer, will you help me? And he said, shockingly, I made as much money that day as I did the day before. I think people just want to help any way they can but then he said and this was what caught my attention he reversed roles and he actually went out and found 19 people who were begging for help who all had signs that read will work for food and he told them i have a job i will give you a job meet me here tomorrow at this time and we will get you working And here's what the reporter said. One out of 19 showed up. Stories like this, now stay with me. Stories like this make it hard to help people. Stories like this create in us and I don't think I'm alone here I think all of us have experienced this all of us who work hard and we really want to help and we see the need but yet we hear these stories and we see situations like a man begging for help but yet there's a help wanted sign across the street here's what happens and I think we're all in this but here's what happens to those of us that really want to help we become cynical We become skeptical. We begin to distrust that they really need the help. That people are simply scamming us. It's easier to just ignore them and move on because we've grown cynical in our hearts. Because there are a lot of people who abuse this system. But I think it also makes it easy for us to not only become cynical but it also makes us easy it makes it easy for us to become judgmental. What did you do to get yourself in this situation, we say. What stupid thing did you do or what stupid thing do you keep doing? Why are you in this situation? What have you done? To find yourself, are you lazy? Are you a criminal? Are you simply just... And so we become cynical and judgmental. And so here is our tension this morning. For those of us who are good-hearted, who read the Bible that says, love your neighbor as yourself, this is the tension we wrestle with. We're called to love them. But there in the middle of so much need in our communities, so much need in our families, so much need in the people that we come in contact with, we ask ourselves this question, really, who then is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Those who will just help themselves? Those who... Aren't trying to steal from me or fake me out or lie to me or. And so the question is who is my neighbor? And the truth is, I can't help everyone. You can't help everyone. The need's too great, the problems are too big. We cannot help everyone. We cannot always know what is real and what is fake, what is crisis and what is chronic. And you know the difference between that, right? Sometimes people are in need because a crisis happens in their life, and they need help through that. And sometimes people need help because there's a chronic problem that needs fixed. And if we don't fix the problem, we're not really helping them. They just continue to be in a state of chronic need. Should I just have given the beggar money? On that corner that day? Or should I have rolled my window down and said, hey man, get a job. Don't answer that. Until you've heard the whole story. So Jesus addresses this very issue in Luke chapter 10. We're in Luke chapter 10. If you want to jump in with us this morning into Luke chapter 10, begin reading in verse 25. This is a familiar story to many of us even if you aren't in the church, even if you've never really been part of the church very long, we've all heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, they even talk about it outside. This story makes its way outside the church and even becomes part of our culture. The Good Samaritan. Hospitals are named after Samaritan. Organizations are named after the Good Samaritan. Not-for-profits are named after the Good Samaritan. We all are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to start reading in verse 25, okay? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Life. So this expert in the law, you say, well, what do you mean expert in law? Was he in a lawyer? Was he an attorney? He was an expert in understanding the biblical God-given law that the Jews remember, these are Jews. And he was asking Jesus to test him. What does it say? He's going to test him. How do I inherit eternal life? Verse 26. What is written in the law? And Jesus always answered a question with a question. Well, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read the law? How do you think you can inherit eternal life? How do you think you can find this life that you're looking for? How can you please God? How can you make sure that God sees you and says, yes, good life, good person, you can get into heaven? How do you read it? Verse 27. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Yes. Nobody argues with that one. Love God with everything that you have. I mean, after all, it's God's heaven, right? How can you go to a place that's God's if you don't love God? So love God. And, and listen, the expert of the law understood this. He read the whole law. He understood the Ten Commandments and that half of them were about God and half of them were about our neighbor. He understood that all the law could be summed down into two statements. Love God, and then here's what he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. We talked about that one last week. Love them as yourself. Verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. There it is. Simple, right? Easy, no. Love God, love your neighbor. So many are searching for life. So many are searching for abundant life. So many are searching how we should live that pleases God, that gets us into heaven. So many are looking for this. And here it is. Do this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself and you will make it. Well, it's not so easy. Even for the expert of the law. Because he wanted to be a little more clear. Loving God, we get. Loving your neighbor, we need some commentary on that. Tell me what you mean by that. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. And he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? It's a good question. I understand that he is justifying himself and why he is justifying himself. Because maybe this expert of the law stood on a corner and he saw a man begging, but yet there were jobs available. And he wants to know, I passed that man up and didn't help him. Did I break the law of love? He wanted to justify him. Obviously, this expert of the law was picky... And who he loved. He was able to love certain people and not others. And he was asking Jesus, is everyone my neighbor? Or is just someone my neighbor? The man probably was justifying himself. Because he found himself like many of the Jews and the experts of the law of that day. To be drawn to good people. Law keepers. People who stayed out of trouble. People who never argued with their husbands or wives. People who had kids who behaved. People who were model citizens. People who carried their own weight. People who we could look to and say, Wow, there's my neighbor. Nobody wants a neighbor that's the opposite of those things, right? Some of you have those neighbors. And I mean the people who live next to you. And you wish they were different. You wish they acted different. You wish that they behaved differently. You wish that they treated you differently. You wish that they would not let their dog come over there and do whatever they're doing on your yard. I think the expert of the law was trying to justify himself because there were people in his life that he didn't love. And he was picky And so we wanted Jesus to say, "Okay, Jesus, I can get to heaven and inherit eternal life if I love God. I do that. And if I love my neighbor, can you please tell me who my neighbor is? It's a good question for us today as well. Who is my neighbor? If I must love my neighbor, I want to know who he or she is, right? After all, eternal life is tied to this question. So Jesus does what Jesus does. He tells a story. He tells a story. He brings the spiritual truth out in a parable. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, in reply to his question, who is my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him. Excuse me, leaving him half dead. Next verse. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. It's interesting that Jesus picks a priest and a Levite here. The most godly, holy men that the Jewish people might understand to truly understand the law and be keepers of the law. If anyone understood the question what it meant to love my neighbor and who my neighbor is, it should be the Levite and the priest. And Jesus tells the story where this man in need, they kind of went over, they rolled their window up and tried not to make eye contact. Next verse. Nope, go back. Sorry. We'll stay right there. That was verse 32. So to the Levite when he came places. So my question to you is this. Why do you think the two religious men failed to help the man in need? I mean, they even moved to the other side of the road. Perhaps they were skeptical too. Perhaps uh, they thought the man was faking it. Maybe he was a robber. Maybe he was a thief. Maybe he was just playing hurt. Maybe they heard his moaning and heard his, his crying. And maybe they heard him you know, in pain, but they thought he was faking it. Maybe they thought if I go over there to help and I get involved, maybe he'll rob me too. it was clear that they were more concerned about self-preservation as a priority than helping the man in need. Perhaps they judged the man for his condition. (coughs) Maybe he was a drunkard. Maybe somehow he brought this misfortune upon himself. He's had made bad choices in his life and God is punishing him and maybe he's laying there and he found himself in this situation. He should have known better. I mean, who in the world travels from Jerusalem to Jericho at this time of night alone? It's a dangerous road. Everyone knew that the road had robbers on it. Everyone knew that you just don't do this. So if if he's in this situation, he's going to have to get himself out. They assumed his position was because of his own foolishness. We don't know for sure why the men passed by on the other side of the road and kept going. But my guess is probably the same reason many of us pass people up. Because we're cynical and we're judgmental and we just don't want to get involved and if anyone knew the law these two did we too can be this way cynical and cautious and judgmental listen judging others I think I have a slide for you here on this one judging others for their brokenness just simply distracts us from being able to love them and see the way We can show them the love of Jesus. When we judge others and when we're cynical of others, it's an excuse for us to miss their brokenness. We can't love them when we're judging them. And so Jesus shows them how to love your neighbor. The question on hand is still who is my neighbor? Interesting, he uses a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a hated foreigner of the Jews. The Jews viewed them as half-breeds. Half-breeds physically, but also half-breeds spiritually. They were an open hostility to the Jews and to each other. Interesting that Jesus asserts that love has no boundaries. Jesus is saying, there's a Levite and a priest and a Samaritan. And the Samaritan ends up being the one that Jesus uses as the man who knew who his neighbor was. There are no physical or spiritual or national boundaries when it comes to love. If anyone should have known the best way to love their neighbor, it was them. But Jesus asserts that it's the Samaritan. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, listen, he took pity on him. He took pity on him. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to outline How this Samaritan loved his neighbor. I'm going to outline for you how the Samaritan loved his neighbor. The first thing we see in verse 33 here is that he noticed. He noticed him, he saw him. Loving your neighbor means that you must become aware of the needs around you. Something was different on the road that day. Something was wrong. He heard the moaning. He heard the pain. He saw and felt pity for the man, and he had empathy for him. He put himself in the place of the man that had been robbed and beaten. Yesterday, I heard a story that a doctor who had replaced my mother's knees committed suicide. Shocked us. And as I thought about that, I, I, I wondered, obviously this man, successful man, was hurting and wounded. And my question was to myself, did anyone notice that? Did anyone notice his pain, his depression? Was anyone in his circle aware that something was wrong? Sometimes we go through life blind to the needs around us. The first thing the Samaritan did is he noticed. The second thing he did is he stopped. He stopped. Loving your neighbor means that you must be willing to stop and see if you can help. This might be the most difficult one for us, because the truth is, and let's be honest, holy cow are we busy people. It's when you're busy and you got somewhere to go and you got something to do. And you got people to see, and you have responsibilities. You might notice someone in pain, but to stop changes your schedule. To stop means that you have to make an adjustment. Work, family, Kids, sporting events, church events, vacations, housework, yard work, winterizing everything, right? Concerts, projects that didn't get done this summer. We are crazy, busy people. Who has the time for others? (laughs) We might notice, but when we quickly evaluate what it might cost us to stop, we move on. The truth is most of us... Noticed others' pain, but we quickly move on because to stop would be a change in my schedule. Verse 34, he went to him, the Samaritan went to the man, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on them and wine, which in that day was medicine, had a healing power to it, when someone had abrasions or cuts or wounds, they would apply wound, they would apply a mixture of oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The third thing the man did, first he noticed, then he stopped. The third thing he did was he helped. He helped. Loving your neighbor means that we must take a risk to help those in need. The Samaritan helped in a way that was appropriate. And I ask myself, is a handout always the best way to help? And the answer to that is no. His help was appropriate because it does not lead to just simply fixing a moment, but to fixing the problem. A handout often is the quickest way that we can move on and not get engaged in the situation. But when you notice and you stop and you evaluate the problem, many times the help will require more than just a handout. Helping involves risk, risk that will cost you time, it will cost you resources, And it might even cost you rejection. But helping appropriately is always the most effective way to love your neighbor. It says he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He saw the problem and he began to apply the fix. Verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper looking after him. He said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. So he noticed, he stopped, he helped. I think that one's up there. Is that one next or did I skip ahead? He helped and then he also got personally involved. Hmm. This one scares us, doesn't it? Loving your neighbor will cost you something. Put the guy on his own animal. Say, well, what's wrong with that? I'll give someone a ride. Remember what road they're on? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a dangerous road. If robbers attack this man, beat him up and stole everything he had. Getting off of your horse... And beginning to walk is a dangerous thing to do. Most of us don't realize, but everybody would have went, He did what? He got off of his horse? Or his animal? I mean, that's his only way to run from the robbers. And he says he put him up in an inn. It cost him money. He got personally involved and then he also followed up he noticed he stopped he helped he got personally involved but here's the big one he followed up loving your neighbor means you see them through the difficult moment of their life he said he would come back he said he would help even more if needed His motivation was not simply a handout to get them through the moment. His motivation was healing and getting the man back to his normal life. Verse 36. Jesus tells this story and then he said, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of a robber? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had, and here it is, mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What is the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? Those that we have mercy on. When we see the need and it is great. This is an important question because it has eternal life consequences. We cannot just simply love God and not love our neighbor. But the tension is who is my neighbor? We see the priest and the Levite and even the expert of the law of this story, and we sort of make them into the villain. But the truth is, if we are honest, we all see ourselves in these three a little, don't we? We may wonder whom exactly God expects us to love. And we try to justify, like the law expert, the answer to that question, and we never get around to simply loving the people who are in need around us. It can be overwhelming to see so many problems, so much need, so much brokenness in our world, in our community, in our families, in our circles, that we become cynical And we become judgmental and we're tempted to simply believe I cannot possibly make a difference. So we do nothing. Listen, Jesus is not calling you to fix the world's problems. If you hear this story and you are taking the weight of the world upon yourself and saying, wow, Jesus is calling us to create these large organizations to fix all the problems to go out and and solve all of the drug addiction and to solve all the issues and and the homelessness and all the needs of our world listen you're not hearing the expectation is not for you to solve the drug epidemic or to solve the homeless crisis or to solve the divorce rate or to the foster care system or the crime problem that is not the meaning of the story Jesus makes it clear. The meaning of the story is this. Love the one in front of you. Simply love the one in front of you. Who is my neighbor? The one who is in front of you, who is in need, and they need you to offer them hope. To offer them help to engage in their life <clears throat> it is the person living next door to you who's going through a divorce it's the person or an acquaintance whose son has committed suicide or whose wife has left him it's the person who cuts your hair and they're struggling with depression it's the person in the checkout or the table next to you when you are aware of your surroundings And you see their need is great, it's simply offering sometimes a word of encouragement and hope and engaging with them. Who is my neighbor? It's the one in front of you. And as we go through our day to day life, what am I thinking about? What am I paying attention to? Do I look for people who might need this hope? Be a good Samaritan. Be aware. Notice. Stop. Help. Get involved. Follow up. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor, had this quote and I read it. Do for one what you wish you could do. For everyone. That's who your neighbor is. Let's pray. Would you stand with me this morning? I want everyone to just pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray and I'd like you to pray out loud with me, okay? I'll pray it and you follow. Jesus, teach me to love as you love. Open my eyes to the need. Show me the one hurting in front of me. Give me the courage to help, the compassion to get involved, the love to see it through.